Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Dave Cannon is a fish biologist who lives in the western part of Alaska. He has been very much interested in issues regarding the association of climate change and mental health and actually spoke not only to his own experiences with depression, but to his opinions as what needs to be done as a biologist and a person. I found this really interesting as well because it's an opinion that comes not from someone who's living in urban areas, but truly out in the bushland. What he has to say is intriguing and many good ideas about what needs to be done, and frankly, some of the concerns about things that may not be possible to do. It was only in my mid-30s that I decided to go back to college and better myself. I've always been into the outdoors, a fisherman ever since I was a kid. I realized that the fishes in Wyoming, the native fishes anyway, weren't doing good. I'm going to go back a little further into Pennsylvania, where I grew up. As a fisherman there, I said the native brook trout weren't doing all that well, at least in the area that I live. I did move out to Wyoming in my early 20s, landed a job with the U.S. Forest Service, and fished as much as I could in Jackson for quite a few years, and realized, yeah, the native fishes there, the cutthroat trout, weren't doing extremely well. Hung out with a lot of environmentally-minded people. Years later, in my mid-30s, and I had that midlife crisis, and I wanted to find meaning in my life. And I didn't enjoy the work I was doing. I was a surveyor. I had a degree in surveying technology. But where I was working was some of the most beautiful places you can imagine. But the work I was doing wasn't fulfilling. I guess I woke up one day and said, I think I should be a fish biologist and uh, <laughs> hopefully save the fishes that I cared so much about. I went to the University of Wyoming for three years and realized how much native fishes in North America and then throughout the world weren't doing all that well. Eventually, I ended up in Idaho, and the salmon were recently listed as threatened or endangered, in part because of the huge dams on the Columbia River system, but also habitat alteration, degradation from mining, logging, grazing. Fish were really in trouble. I had a rude awakening, you know, I went back to college there to save the fishes, but I kind of realized that maybe nobody could. So now we're on with the climate change. More long stories, and I'm going to have to back up just a little more. My depression is not just from environmental concerns. It goes way back, maybe in part, I think it's genetic. When I decided to go back to college to be a fish biologist, my dream in Wyoming was to better myself and save those fishes. Well, what I did was, unknowingly, I took a job in Idaho dealing with those threatened and endangered salmon and then eventual steelhead and bull trout and other fishes. So I brought that depression and a low point in my life into all of a sudden combat biology. Climate change wasn't even on the radar screen for anybody. While I was in Idaho working for the Forest Service, we had a wonderful chief of the Forest Service, Jack Ward Thomas, and he was the first scientist to be chief of the Forest Service, and he was trying to bring in ecosystem management. I did start learning more about the ecology of different species and the interaction. It was just years later when I moved eventually here to Alaska, geoscientists, biologists started talking about climate change concerns, things like changes in ocean conditions, freshwater system. Most people in those days, other than Al Gore preaching about climate change, it wasn't a big issue. But because of my background and following more issues ecosystem-wise, that climate change kept rearing its head. And now, if everybody is aware that there's at least something happening. 
because of the depression I experienced, I was at the lowest point in my life. When I was with the Forest Service in Idaho and those threatened and endangered species that kicked in with numerous salmon stocks and everything was just in disarray in the whole Pacific Northwest with biologists trying to protect the few remaining salmon, but the politics, uh, death threats and things like that were common. I had moved to this remote place called El City. One day in the Forest Service office, there was an announcement that they were going to bring in a, I don't know, I guess a psychologist and the whole district was required to attend this meeting. The person handed out refrigerator magnet with a crisis hotline number on it. I can remember thinking I was too busy to attend that. You know, I had to save these fish that were in trouble, but we all had to go to this meeting. And here's this person and psychologist talking about depression and other things and how people are struggling. And, you know, within the Forest Service, it wasn't just biologists. I think so many people in life these days are overwhelmed. I remember sitting through that meeting thinking, I don't have time for this. I grabbed one of those refrigerator magnets, went back to work eventually, and then I put that darn magnet on my refrigerator. And it was, I think, less than two weeks later. And so much to being overwhelmed with trying to save the fish, and it was so stressful. I walked by that refrigerator, and I looked at that magnet, and I thought, damn, I think I'd better call that number. It helped over time and work through some of my issues. Glad to hear that. How did you learn to look at the realities of climate change in a less depressed manner? What made you better so that you can continue with your very necessary work? Serenity Prayer helped me then and still helps me get through today's troubled times. Did other workers, the people in the Forest Service or in dealing with all the ecological systems, were they aware that you had reached out for help? Were they supportive or were you kind of like by yourself on that? Well, you know, that's actually quite interesting. Over the course of my career then, I've had to tell probably five supervisors about my depression because I realized that I wasn't 100%. And first time I mentioned it to a supervisor, and he wasn't a biologist. In fact, very interesting, this person, his background was in forestry. There were often clashes between biologists and the foresters. In Elk City, Idaho, we had a new district ranger person in charge of the district, and he was Forrester. And I just knew that I had no idea how I might be perceived by other people because I was just in a huge funk. It was very hard to go and talk to him, frankly, about this. But when I said that I was experiencing depression, he said, so am I. His concerns weren't environmentally based. They were just everything going on in his life. But the Forest Service during those days was very stressful for everybody. People come into the issues facing us with the climate changes, with a whole host of things that they're carrying. Right. Where now or how does the climate change complicate all of this? Do we need to be more sensitive when we see someone who is depressed and ask them, are they depressed about climate issues? Yeah, I just firmly believe, and I, I'm a realist, as much as an idealist as I was and still am, and an optimist, we do have to face the reality. And as far as the environment, I don't think things are going to get better any time in the near future, if at all. There's going to come a time when most everybody is going to understand somehow, somewhere, to some extent, solastalgia. We are going to have to come together and help each other out, and we tend not to change until we're forced into it.
Could you define the word for us? Some people may not know what it means. Solastalgia is environmental grief. It's a lot of home, which can be your basic home itself or the environment. I think that term was coined by Albrecht, a man by the name of Albrecht, I think in Australia. Dealing with people there, huge coal mines were being built and tearing up countryside. And it's just environmental grief. It's a term that more and more people are only going to be aware of with time. You said that you don't think this part of our existence on this planet is necessarily going to get better that easily. And I don't know where to draw the line. And I want to be optimistic, but realistically, how much can we do to change it? I have to go back just a couple of weeks. I was in Fairbanks at a climate change workshop that specifically dealt with food security. From day one, they passed out a little piece of paper. It asked something like, what is it that you still struggle with? They gave that same sheet of paper every day, and they had hoped that over the course of that week, you would learn something and maybe answer that first question. I knew the instructors pretty well, and I don't know if it's a sense of humor or what you want to call it, but every day, the question that I submitted was, can one person make a difference? Got to be kind of a joke with the one instructor because people should maybe have gotten that answered throughout the course of the week, but we discussed it as a group eventually at the end of the week. Can one person make a difference? Obviously, we can in some ways, but I do wonder if in the big scheme of things, back to my effort, which is what I'm driven to do, is to make a difference somehow, somewhere. And what do you recommend? I know you written a number of very good articles in which you've discussed different types of behaviors that we need to modify or start to include in our activities of daily living. What do you see that we can do from both a person's point of view, which you are, and a biologist's point of view, which you also are, to help mitigate things here? Oh boy, yeah. I guess to me, first of all, a greater awareness as to what the realities are. Now, unfortunately, sometimes that greater awareness can, can be very disconcerting. But hopefully, through a greater awareness as to our place on this planet and within the environment, I hope that more and more people can realize, first of all, think about our footprint. Living alone here in Alaska, everything has to get shipped in. The thing I try to do, though, is live a little more simply. One example is I have a dryer, but I've never used the heat cycle. I'll hang my clothes. Summer is great and hang them out on the clothesline. But in the winter, I hang them in where my boiler is. That room's warmer than any other in the house. And I dry them that way. And then I just humble the clothes in the dryer for a few minutes to get the wrinkles out. But wherever we think we can to minimize our footprint. Now, we don't really want to get into the device politics and where things are right now. But every politician who is aware that we need to somehow somewhere start living more sustainably and reducing CO2 emissions the best we can do. I want to flip to something else while I have you on the phone. You use the term combat biology. In the world of biologists, do they stand with you on this or is there diversity? I'll go back to the word again, combat biology about what we need to do. You guys are in the front line. You know, you really are. Now, well, that's interesting because I'm going to maybe get to a topic here. Years ago, I call it my fish's perspective, and it's a critical look at Homo sapiens. For those that don't know, Homo sapiens basically means the wise one. Sometimes my fish's perspective, I got to be honest, sometimes we biologists can't even agree. And maybe that's part of the reason we have so many concerns with fish populations. 
I'm going to read a quote here to hopefully explain my passion for the fishes. But he was a sociologist by the name of Rickard who wrote a book called Fishy Business, Salmon Biology and the Social Construction of Nature. He interviewed, though, I think over a dozen American and Canadian fish biologists. And this was years ago during the salmon crisis when I was there in Idaho and the whole Pacific Northwest. Here's what he kind of concluded. He said, yet I was surprised at their lack of emotional identification with the fish. This all leaves one with a strong sense that biologists construct salmon merely as one species among many. Like all biological organisms, salmon harbor numerous mysteries, but for most biologists, they are mysteries of the mind, not the heart. They're a matter of heart to me. And most biologists who are in tune with the concerns with ecosystem collapses, loss of biological diversity, and certainly climate change, I do know other biologists who we go round and round on climate change. Is it real? Is it man-caused? That is frustrating as all get out for me. More and more people do really need to realize the reality of what we're facing. We do have to recognize that there are changes. And the other thing that I think a lot of people, maybe they're not aware of to use your approach, or maybe it's just overwhelming, is that the earth all by itself goes through cycles, whether we're here or not. Are we just speeding up something or worsening something that's part of a natural cycle? Where do we draw the line of responsibility and how much can we modify? Because this is, this is our home. I had that exact conversation yesterday with a new friend here in Antioch not a biologist, but yeah, in fact, I would tend to say a good portion of my friends, they aren't aware of the concerns that I am, in part because the reality is the average person, they have so many other things in their life that are going on. And yet this climate change is just something, yeah, they're aware of. Some are concerned, some are not. So many competing interests, but as a biologist, and I think you might agree with this, when it's all said and done, you know, term existential crisis comes into play here, and it may be the biggest issue facing mankind. How do we help people prepare and modify to make our existence on this planet as good, as long, as safe as, as possible? That is a question I struggle with probably daily. I said I am an idealist, and I do hope that somehow something that can bring us together as a species and overcome that or live up to our moniker, the wise one. That's a huge topic, obviously, but somehow we do collectively as species maybe altruistically more for each other and realize that if we don't, we're going to be in deeper trouble than we are today. In a number of your articles, get them online, you list a number of very specific behavioral changes. Some of them not so big, some of them bigger, but all aimed in the, in the right direction. Can you just give us an overview of what you're trying to do and maybe tease people to go online to look at the exact list? I was actually looking at a brand new list last night. Some of the things, like buy locally, if there are produce stands or farmers co-ops nearby, then being shipped in, it comes down to trying to minimize our impact, much like I said, just washing your clothes. Consumerism, wow, that's this whole other thing. Plastics, which is a big concern for the environment. Try to minimize your need or your desire to have things that you really don't need. Lots of little things.
hopefully add up and, and make a bigger difference. One of the things that has always impacted me, probably one of the things that partly set my direction in life, was that I remember being taught that the Bible says that every seven years you don't plant to give the earth a year to rest. Mm. I never really gave much thought to that until I was probably in my 20s and 30s, and I understand the reality that that is not necessarily going to be possible, but the concept is so profound. Yeah, I don't know if that whole seven-year thing, interestingly enough, seven generations, I don't know if you've heard of that, but Native cultures believe, you know, plan seven generations ahead. And so the seven years, like you said, you know, let those fields rest, reflects on our own individual impact and how it does affect other people. Doing these days is living within the means of our natural system, and I'm talking collectively, at every scale, need to think about more living within the means of natural systems. Dave Cannon is a fish biologist who lives who lives in western Alaska. I think you call it the bush part of western Alaska. Southwestern and bush means that you can't drive basically to where we live. You have to fly in. It's just a completely different world for so many of us. You give us a lot of thoughts to think about. Thank you very much. I, I hope this just, again, gives people something to think about. And I hope in the future, if something comes up, we can talk some more. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.